Well, he's a man of his word. Best of luck with what you're doing. Hopefully you'll invite me back afterwards. We can have a uh, recap. Uh, if I'm wrong, you can have your listeners throw eggs and tomatoes at me. I can get dunked in the water. <laughs> but if I'm right, maybe we can talk about the future of the Republican Party and where it needs to go to make America uh, more competitive and to have a strong, healthy two-party system going forward. This is Here Now the News. I'm Jerry Barnage. My guest for this edition of the podcast is familiar for his many TV appearances and helped kick off this endeavor in October. So I welcome Anthony Scaramucci back for thoughts on where the GOP is headed with Trump as the apparent standard bearer. We also chat about the Governor Cuomo nursing home scandal as the interview was done before the multiple sexual harassment allegations came to light and if political aspirations are on his radar. Our conversation took place days before Trump addressed the CPAC crowd to signal his rebirth in the Republican Party. Well, joining me today, I am pleased to have once again, I'm calling it Mooch 2.0. Anthony Scaramucci is back with me. Thanks again. Always glad to have you with me. Well, Jerry, it's great to be on. How's your podcast doing? Congratulations. I listened to you. You had some fun episodes. Thank you. You were the the first one, and and I'm I'm glad we could uh, find. I remember minutes. that. I remember that over the summer. That was great for me. So yeah, no, that'll, yeah, that'll over great. the summer radio station, and then we we started the podcast. I had you on, and that was uh, before the election. That was actually well, prom- promise me on your tenth anniversary of this podcast. I get a look. All right, I'll have uh, I'll have no teeth. I'll be bald. Hopefully, I'll be living in the Florida Keys at that point. No, I'm kidding. I'm gonna. I'm a New Yorker. I, I see all these people leaving. All these snowbirds are becoming permanent uh, Floridians. Not me. I'm gonna. I'm a New Yorker. I'm not. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not budging. You're staying put. New, yeah. New York, Long Island. Love Long Island. Somebody, somebody tried to sell me this app. It's called Home 183, which is a proof of residence app so that when you're traveling, you keep track of and tabulate everything that you do. And this way, you can go to the state of New York and say, well, I was in the, only in New York for 160 days. Therefore, I'm a Florida taxed person, no income tax for you. And I said, well, I can't do that because I'm not a Florida tax person. I'm, I'm a, I have a house in New York and that's where I'm living and that's where I'm going to be. You grew up on Long Island. I, I live two miles from where my parents raised me. So that's where I'm, that's where I'm sitting right now. Wow. This, this was a this was an effective basement COVID-19 bunker. Uh, I talked to you from my other home out in Southampton last time, but this is my COVID-19 bunker. Like Joe Biden, I've been beating up on Donald Trump from this location, broadcasting live to six different continents. If the if I thought there were expats in Antarctica, I would have been on a radio show in Antarctica telling them <laughs> not to vote for Donald Trump. But unfortunately, the penguins are not registered to vote. For the radio station, we did speak that time in the summer when you were out uh, out east. We did speak here because I remember for the uh, podcast, you showed me the backdrop for uh, for Don Lemon. The, uh, oh, the, the, is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah right? we did that yeah, in I October. Keep that up because if I shut it off, you get to see the back of my head. Now, the good news is I don't have a bald spot yet, but I'm sure that's coming as well. You know, for your young listeners, it is an absolute bear to get old. Try not to get old. But then the flip side is it's better than the alternative. And do you cons- I love when people consider themselves old and then I'm like, wait a minute, look at these gray hairs that I'm trying to, you know, fix here. Um, no, I don't. I don't. You know, look, I'm 57. I don't consider myself old. I still feel I'm in my rookie season. I got tremendous energy and enthusiasm. I'm, uh, but I I do have a little bit of seasonal. You know, I've been seasoned by life. I have a good appreciation now for things that I've done right and wrong. Uh, but no, I still feel. 
very spry. I'm rare. I'm looking forward to the summer and spring and I feel uh, as good as I ever had. Thank God. That's, that's some good fortune. Yeah. I've avoided the uh, COVID. Have you gotten COVID? I have not. No, no. Have I mean, there've been, been back, many times been where, vaccinated? you know, I had a, uh, I haven't gotten vaccinated and I'm, I'm looking and, and I haven't been able to, uh, to get back. Yeah. I won't be able to get vaccinated either. Although I saw one of the funnier memes yesterday, it was uh, pictures of men and women in that 80 styles bouffant hair. Right. And it said, if you used to wear your hair like this, you're up next in line about to be vaccinated. I said, oh, right, well, I, I wore my hair like that. I was a Long Island Guido driving around in my Camaro, uh, wearing my hair like Tony Manero back in the day, you know, from Saturday Night Fever. Right. Yeah, I, I, uh, I didn't get vaccinated. And of course, I think I everybody probably has the fatigue of it now and early on where they, you know, they get the sniffles and they thought they were getting COVID. Uh, I'm sure everybody's gone through that in, in, to one degree or another. Yeah, well, my wife, she'll be super mad at me when she listens to this because she listens to all of these recordings to catch me in my shenanigans. But I'll just report here on your podcast. I think my wife has broken the Guinness World Book of Records for the number of COVID-19 tests, whether they're rapid tests or PCRs. She's firing them in left and right. I mean, she's probably in the last 10 months, who the hell knows how many tests, you know, because like you just said, a sniffle, a cough, the kid comes home with a cough, he's getting tested, she's getting tested. The Q-tip is going up my nose. I mean, I think she's going to be like that, frankly, until my mother-in-law gets vaccinated. And, and have you done that as well? Have you uh, gotten a lot of tests? Well, when she's testing, I'm testing. I've gotten right. my fair share of tests. Yeah, I mean, the good news is I've been negative no antibodies. Uh, I had lots of symptoms COVID related in my mind back in March of last year. Headaches, sniffles, chest compression, really excruciating headache, frankly. But, but you know, I don't know if it was COVID or not. I didn't, I didn't even know enough to go to get a test back then. So I could have had it. I don't know. I feel good though. So let's move on. I mean, I think that's the big dilemma it's killing people in a randomized way. I can tell you that my son, who's 28, had it, and he was touch and go there for a few days, you know, meaning does he need to go to a hospital and be treated with some of these antivirals? The, they made the decision not to do that. He's healing today, but he's got some of those lingering effects, if you will. Uh, I, I didn't know, and I'm sorry, and I'm glad he's doing better. Yeah, no, so he's doing well, thank God. But I mean, that's the dilemma, right? We got, you put the economy open, you're transacting in places like Miami, there's more laxity there, the economy's more robust, a lot more people have gotten COVID. And then you just, you know, you just hope, you know, you're playing that game, hoping that you're not a long hauler. And of course, we don't know the after effects of any of these things, whether it's the vaccine or the disease. You know, we're here now, we have to live in this environment. You know what, let's, since we're getting on about uh, the COVID stuff, Let's go right into that. Obviously, when we spoke the last last two times, really, it, it was all about Trump and the handling of COVID. How do you think President Biden is doing, really having to do a lot of catch up? Well, I mean, it's in the numbers. I mean, you just have to look at the numbers of people that are vaccinated and the numbers of uh, vaccines that are being distributed, the additional deployment of the military, the additional deployment of the Defense Production Act. These are things that President Trump did not want to do. And so in six short weeks, you can see that there's been a seismic change from the federal government's response. The mandatory mask mandate was another example of that. And, you know, all I would say to people that are libertarians and they believe in their freedom and so forth, all of that's fine. I want to get you freer faster. 
Uh, and the way you get freer faster in a situation like this is we team up and we study the epidemiology and then we adapt best practices together so that we can get out of the thing more quickly. And so, you know, my regret is that President Trump didn't listen to Tommy Bossert. Tommy, of course, was the head of his pandemic crisis management team, part of the NSA. He disbanded that team in 2018. Uh, Mr. Bossert went to see President Trump in February of last year. And he said, listen, sir, you got to move quickly. If you don't move quickly or we have a laxity or a lack of unity in our response, we're going to have a half a million people dead in a year. Trump scoffed at him, said, that's not going to happen. We only have a few cases. He said, well, no, that's not how it works, sir. You have this compounding and this R naught. Each case at that moment was 2.4, 2.6, meaning if I had it, God forbid, I gave it to 2.6 people in that day. And then guess what? They gave it to 2.6 million, you know, six people. Uh, so back then we were in the tens under a thousand. Today we have 28 million cases, 500,000 people dead. And so all I would say to people who are Trump lovers who, or don't like science, if you followed the science, you'd have less people dead and the economy would be stronger. And I would just take you to the best practices that were actually adhered to in places like Wuhan and places like Seoul, South Korea. In Seoul, South Korea, you've got 20 deaths, Jerry, per million. In the United States, you have 670 deaths per million. So we've been 30 times worse than best practices. So when you stop and look at it, it's an unmitigated disaster. It's malfeasance, it's pandemic side, if you will. And, you know, there's a lot to do to correct it. But here's the good news. Klain is a very smart guy, the chief of staff, know him well. He worked on the Ebola situation during the Obama administration. And they're putting the resources and the time and energy into following the experts. Um, and boy, you know, Anthony Fauci, age 81, he looks like he reversed age 20 years now that the orange lunatic is not hovering over him, disagreeing with him left and right, doing all of that counterintuitive insecurity nonsense that Mr. Trump has in his personality. And he's been open since, uh, since the president left. Uh, Fauci has been really uh, speaking out. No question. We also talked a little about the COVID vaccine. Does, does President Biden get any criticism for, for how that is uh, being rolled out at this point? Or is that still a, a remnant of uh, the Trump administration? Well, listen, I mean, you know, at some point it's the Biden administration. I don't like the nonsense of we're blaming the prior administrations for foibles that are taking place in present time. I just do think you have to give him a little bit of a period of time. I think there's a there's a hundred day grace period, if you will. Seems like that's been the standard for the last hundred years since uh, or 90 years since Franklin Roosevelt. And so I think we're in day 42 or 43 of the administration. So if you invite me back in six months and we assess it, then I'll start blaming President Biden's team. But right now, I think you still have to give them a little bit of a benefit of the doubt because we're only seven weeks into the administration. There's a very stark contrast to what they're doing. Less drama, less immature seventh grade middle school tweeting. If you're going to take out some bridges or infrastructure related to arms trade or related to ISIS and terrorist development, you're doing it uh, professionally. You're doing it without Twitter screeds and bellicosity of rhetoric and blabbering bullying. You're just saying, OK, this is in the strategic interest of the United States and our allies, and this is what we're going to do. Uh, and I think I like that. I think my blood pressure is down 
both my systolic and diastolic blood pressure probably down 10 points each, including my pulse rate. So the fact that I don't have to wake up to nonsensical, insane, borderline personality disorder tweeting from the leader of the free world, I think has been in general a good thing. Now, do I agree with everything? No, I'm a center right person. So I'm not in love with certain positions that they've taken. But having said that, I do like the fact that uh, they're taking them calmly and rationally without drama. And I think that we're going to get to a place in a few years where we're going to recognize how destructive and nihilistic of the Trump administration was. And speaking of that, no surprise, in, in the first days, the Biden administration basically rolled back, erased almost everything that the Trump administration had put forward uh, policy-wise. I don't think that's a surprise. No, he more or less said he was going to do that. You know, right. So he signed 60 executive orders. They're criticizing him because that's more orders per day than Donald Trump. But he was really trying to remove and replace you know, four years worth of executive orders that Donald Trump put in place. And you know, listen, when you're banning Muslims because of their religion, and you're banning certain countries specifically related to the fact that they are religiously more populated with Muslims. I mean, that is a form of racism. And so I have to own that for the rest of my life that I supported Donald Trump when he was doing that. I was equivocating and I was using the uh, rationale that I liked his policies versus Hillary Clinton's policies. But at some point you had to say, well, enough is enough. And so uh, where I bear some responsibility is, you know, his administration because of those types of exclusionary measures, you know, created a lot of pain in our society. And so people that work for him contributed to that pain. And we have to acknowledge that, you know, and obviously I've said my atonement for that. And I worked super hard to try to defeat him. But, you know, you also got to look at the 74 million people that voted for him. And hopefully we can provide them with a policy solution that they like or a compromise. Uh, but we can get them off of the radicalization of a large part of America. You know, this is sort of this Christian white nationalism, the stuff that's being espoused by these lunatics like Steve Bannon. It worries me because it's too large of a population. We should be more educated. We should know better. Uh, and, you know, some people listening will say, oh, he's an East Coast elite. He's talking like an East Coast elite. I'm not trying to. I grew up in a blue collar family up here in Port Washington. My dad was a crane operator. I certainly don't feel like I'm an elitist. I have had a charmed life. There's no question about that. I've done well. I've lived a good part of the American dream, but I've traveled enough of the country to know that there's a lot of pain in the country. And I have a good understanding why people have supported Mr. Trump. Uh, and when you ask those people, by and large, a lot of them say, well, he's nuts, but he's my nut. And so what I would prefer to do is get somebody more rational, more stable, that could be their advocate for the things that they feel that they need from our society. And so uh, you know, the Mr. Trump stuff was the ends justify the means. I'm going to do X, Y, Z for you, but therefore I can act any way that I want. And I don't, I don't, I think that's classically un-American, frankly. I think that history will record Donald Trump as probably the least American in terms of what you and I think of America in terms of its values, its good citizenship, uh, the truth, justice, and American way of our mythology like Superman I think you would say, okay, this guy was the least American of the modern presidents. I don't know the other presidents as well as I do the last 10 from a historical basis, but I would say he's probably the worst of them. I've interviewed a couple just recently on President's Day. I posted uh, uh, with historians and 
uh, it was a consensus among them that he's the, going to be and is the worst president uh, of all time. I, I just want to ask you one more thing with the Biden administration. At this point, I know we're not at the six month level or the or even the one the 100 days. Mm -hmm. But right now, how do you assess that the early going? I think he's done a generally good job, a generally no drama. He's trying to espouse centrism. He's trying to uh, contain the what we'll call the radical left, because I, I would call the other side the radical right. And I think that most of America lives in that middle zone. And I think he's trying to find that middle zone. If I were being critical, I'm not sure that cutting the Keystone pipeline is the best idea. Maybe optically, it sends a signal that we're going to be more environmentally conscious, but ultimately it doesn't. All it did was raise oil prices and 10 or 20,000 people lost their jobs. Do we need something transformative for our society to improve the air and water and the cleanliness of our atmosphere? Uh, yes, we do. Uh, am I a climate change denier? I'm not. I think the evidence is overwhelming, and I think we're in danger of really hurting ourselves if we're not careful. Uh, there's a great book I'd recommend to your listeners called Spillover by David Quammen. He's a journalist, traveled all around the world. In that book written in 2012, he talks about how the earth was pretty much okay, three billion people living and cohabitating with the animal kingdom. As the human beings spilled over, and we're now seven plus billion people, you've got all of these spillover effects that are taking place, the deforestation of the Amazon, which is like literally cutting out our lungs. If you think about the Amazon's property for creating atmosphere, and uh, you know, oxygen, if you will. And then you think about the transfer of these diseases from mammals to mammals, you know, so they can go from a, a pangolin to a bat to a person or to a gorilla. And, you know, our, our immunological system is not set up for that. So, so, you know, we're spilling over now. And so I do think we do need policies to address that. So you got to balance that with the work, price of oil, what we're using in our modern economy to keep people moving and growing and jobs. So I'd like less reactionary policy and I'd like more long-term thought out form formulas for success. And so I think that we, we don't do that in our country. You know, there's no politician anymore that will get to a microphone and say, okay, here's the 10-year plan on infrastructure. By the way, here's the 10-year plan on jobs training, and here's the way we're going to right-size our K through 12 educational footprint. This is how we're going to reform it and make it fairer. Condoleezza Rice always says, tell me the zip code of the child. I can tell you whether or not they've got a good public education. So we have to be careful about those things as well. You are uh, still a Republican, right? You pushed hard to help get Biden elected, mm -hmm. uh, but you have not uh, become a Democrat. And and many have. Many have completely uh, left the Republican Party uh, based on Trump. You have not. Why? Why is that? Well, that may come to pass. You know, we're talking as a group, there's a very large group of us uh, uh, about a center-right alliance, a center-right party. Uh, we've even come up with some names for that party. It's Bush people, Reagan people. It's Romney people from 2012, Bush one and two. And it's people that would like to see the party return to some semblance of principle and ideological principles, not one that's born on nationalism, the bellicosity of Donald Trump's rhetoric and his personality and a personality cult. And so I think what's happened here, there's a signal and a noise. What is it? 
Well, the Republicans like McCarthy and McConnell, they see a signal. They're like, oh my God, the guy got 74 million votes. And so therefore we're going to get flanked. We're going to get primaried. We've got to get in the boat with Donald Trump and sing his praises. And we've got to have all of this MAGA related jingoism, which is obviously long-term consequentially damaging to the country. Uh, And then you got a group like Cheney, Kinzinger, Romney that are like, no, he is a domestic terrorist. He caused an insurrection at the Capitol and he is guilty as charged of those charges and should be brought to bear with some level of punishment for what he's done. And therefore he should have no future in the Republican party. So you have to tell me which faction is going to win. If you tell me that the MAGA faction is winning, then there's a very large group of us will likely leave, break off, create a new party and liquidate what was formerly known as the Republican party, which in my mind is just the Tino party. It's Trump in name only. Okay, they, they call us rhinos. We're not rhinos. We're real Republicans. Those guys are the rhinos. They focus on Trump, all they do. And it's very, very damaging, very stupid. And it has to really make you worry as a citizen of the United States, how one personality, as dangerous and as destructive as that personality represented itself and all the evidence and actions of that personality, he made us weaker, sicker, and poorer as a nation. And yet he still got ardent support Now, the good news is it's down to 25%. So it's 80% of the Republican Party, but the Republican Party is less than 29% of the registration. So if you do the math, he's only got about 24, 25% support in the country. I take that as good news. And I've always teased my Republican friends that support him. I say, well, the good news is Trump is a great unifier. He just happens to be unifying all of us against him. Imagine people like me and Rick Wilson teamed up with Elizabeth Warren and Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. That's sort of a bizarre thing to have had happen. You mentioned some of the uh, the Romneys and, uh, and others. We, we've seen censures of people, of the senators who voted for the conviction of the impeachment in the Senate. What do you make of that? I mean, it seems that it's their constitutional right to vote for that. And then it goes to a censure or to at least a potential censure. It, it's, it's really bizarre. I mean, you know, the, you know, Again, if you look at it through the lens or the game theory logic of somebody that is just completely self-interested and only cares about their own power politics and their political expediency and their cling to their own personal power, then it doesn't sound bizarre. It's totally cynically makes sense. But if you step back and you think about what we would like to see, the norm, the normative, idealistic thing that we'd like to see from our leaders, it is bizarre. And you're like, okay, these guys are not in the public service business. They're in the public ruling business and they're in the public serving themselves business. And so, so what do you do? Well, I think you've got to have a seismic change in incentives in Washington. So the incentives now are probably couldn't make, have made it in the private sector. I spilled into politics. I won the election system set up for me to gerrymander myself into staying in power. Uh, I'm the incumbent. I'll raise more money than my challenger. And so I'm going to stay in power. I'm going to curry favor in this circuitry. And oh, by the way, I'm not making enough money from this job. So I've got to figure out ways to make money for myself and my family. And then a series of compromises comes in. And then the American public feel very cynical. Like I'll, I'll say something on your podcast I don't think I've ever said it out loud, but I'll share it with you. And uh, some people that listen to you will set their hair on fire. But imagine if I said to you, Jerry, 
okay, here's the deal. We've got 535 members of the Congress, 100 in the Senate, 435 in the House of Representatives. We're going to pay those people 20 million after-tax cash dollars. You're going to get $20 million a year after taxes, which adjusted for New York State and city or New York State and local Nassau County taxes, you're, you're going to be making 37 million gross dollars a year. Now, here's the thing. It's binary. You get that money or you get no money, but you have to balance the budget of the United States with the other 534 people. But if you do that, Every single one of you guys, bang, bang, you get the $20 million. So what is that? That's $10.7 billion. That is a rounding error on a $4.5 trillion budget. And what happens is miraculously overnight, the budget is balanced. And then you're ready to lock and load and make that money again for yourself and your family next year. It's an outrageous thing to say. No one's going to do that. But you would get superstar talent that would want to be running for that office. And then you would get superstar decision-making to try to make those decisions in the most propitious way to balance the budget. You wouldn't have the chicanery and the shenanigans that go on now. And so now we don't have that. So what do the politicians do? They overpromise, they underdeliver. The packages are always distorted. We're not going to tax you, but we're going to spend, we're going to give you something for free. It's never for free. Every dollar that's being created by the Fed is hurting someone somewhere because that dollar, if I have 40% more dollars, I have a dollar in my savings account. I can only make a half a percent a year on that dollar. It's not growing. And you just created 40% more dollars. What's going to happen to those uh, South Fork, Southampton oceanfront properties? They're going to go astronomically up in value. Mickey Mantle's baseball card last month his 1952 rookie season card, a rare card in mint condition, sold for $5.2 million. That is fiat currency, asset inflation born from this Federal Reserve policy. Are you in any way surprised, even though he's not in office any longer, the continuing to enable Trump? You mean the politicians around Trump? like The, the politicians parties? around. Yeah. yeah, because- No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not surprised because- He's perceived to have power. Remember I said there's a signal and a noise. They're hearing a signal. Right. I think it's a noise. I think these people are in general very unhappy. Mm-hmm. And I think that they're in general uh, voting for themselves. They're voting for change. And it's an anti-establishment vote. If you put up a candidate that was smarter, more moral, more principled than Donald Trump, that had policies that these people felt were advocating on their behalf, those 74 million votes would go to the, go to that person. It's not it's not affixed to Donald Trump as strongly as someone like Mitch McConnell or Kevin McCarthy thinks. I really do believe that. And so, but people are locked in with Trump because they see him as the last great white hope, and they see this white power structure in the country dying off due to the demographic changes. And so, the Republican Party won't listen. They are trying to run it through the tyranny of the minority. You know. We've got four senators in North and South Dakota. The combined population of those states is the island of Manhattan. Yet you've got 50 million people between California and New York. We have the same senatorial representation. California and New York has the same senatorial representation as uh, North and South Dakota. So look at what's going on here about the tyranny of the minority. 
And so rather than coming up with better ideas, they're locked in on that strategy. And they're literally sitting there saying, okay, if we can get more white crackers to the table to vote next time, we'll get 85 million to the 81 million that voted against us. Let's turn up the heat. And let me quote Lindsey Graham, Trump plus, Trump plus. And I think that's a terrible strategy. That's a, uh, a strategy that's going to put them into a tail into a nightmare. Sure, you heard the speech that McConnell gave the minority leader after the uh, the impeachment proceedings, the uh, the trial ended. He voted against it, but then he had these strong words, almost saying he could face criminal proceedings, and he was making the point that Trump was to blame. Is that really where the the party is at this point? I think so. Yeah, I think that the. I think that the party is very mixed up and very cowardly. And they could have iced Trump, like I said, in August of 2019. Had they impeached and removed Trump from office, he would have disintegrated and they would have sent a message. Remember, there's different styles of leadership, right? And I'll quote Kevin McCarthy. This is why he's among the most disappointing of all people. Kevin said to me 10 years ago, well, there are thermostats and thermometers there are too many thermometers in Washington. Now here's the analogy or the metaphor. A thermometer, I'm sensing the temperature. If it's hot, I'm gonna express heat to my supporters. If it's cold, I'm gonna express cold. It's sort of Hillary Clinton goes to Chicago. She's a Chicago Cubs fan. She's in New York. She's a Yankee fan. It comes across quite disingenuous. But a thermostat is what I have on the wall over there. I want the temperature to be a certain temperature in this room I'm signaling to the thermostat what that temperature is. And that is a leader metaphorically talking to his people or her people. They're saying, okay, look, the way we're going is the wrong way. This is a better way. This is a more virtuous way. This is a more intellectually sound and fundamentally American way pursuant to our constitution. And so therefore, I understand your reaction and your anger, but we shouldn't be going in that direction. We have to go in this direction. That's a thermostat. Those guys are all thermometers and they're all trying to hedge and cover themselves. So Governor Nikki Haley, I dislike Trump. I'm with Marco Rubio. Trump wins. I like Trump. I'm now the UN ambassador. I'm trying to get some street cred on foreign policy to run for president. Got to buff up my resume. Okay, you're going to support Trump or not? No, I'm going to support Trump because if he wins, he's going to have the power of the incumbency in 2024. If he loses, people will forget that I supported him. A couple of weeks after he's lost, she's on Tim Alberta's interview, that session with Politico, and she's railing on Trump. Now she's calling Trump and saying, hey, can I get to Mar-a-Lago to see you? See what's going on? So that's that equivocation. That's that hypocrisy. That's that cynical posturing that the American people absolutely cannot stand which is why Trump's approach, despite all the lies and the mendacity, there was a freshness to his speaking vocabulary for the American people. It wasn't standard political scripted nonsense, but he was just a human disaster. He had no executive management skills. He, like I said, we lost 13 million jobs on his watch. Uh, 500,000 people unnecessarily died due to his malpractice. It's literally a virtual pandemicide. Uh, through his malpractice and laxity. You didn't ask me this, but I'm going to answer it anyway. But I'm worried about the Trumpism. You you opened up with Scaramucci 2.0. I'm worried about Trumpism 2.0, which could be a smarter, more cunning, more organized version 
and perhaps even more diabolical than Trumpism 1.0. You know, DeSantis is a smarter guy than Trump, equally nefarious and malicious. So is Cotton. I think Cruz and Hawley have demonstrated that they're two seditious imbeciles and traitors. So I think they've lost some standing, but you can't count them out because anything can happen in this strange world of politics. What about the fact that uh, as we're recording this, this weekend, Trump is making his return to reestablishing himself, I guess, in the public eye where he'll be speaking at, uh, at CPAC. And uh, it appears from what reports are saying, he's going to be declaring himself the presumptive uh, nominee for 2024. It doesn't mean that he's announcing that he's running, but do you see that happening? Do you see him campaigning for another run? So I, I do, because it's a huge moneymaker for him. You know, I don't think he ever made money like the money that he made in the six or seven weeks after the last election. So from November 3rd to January 1st, he minted money, $300 million into his coffers from Rubes. And so CPAC to me is CONPAC, C-O-N, PAC, CON. And mm-hmm. Trump is the big con. And so he'll go down there and espouse lies. He'll go down there and try to establish legitimacy because he knows it's very good money-making for him. Will he run again and be the nominee? I don't think there's any chance of that. He's got legal issues. He's got tax issues. He's got uh, 10 or 12 Republicans that are going to be running that see themselves as a future president. And so they don't want him in the way. And they'll start undermining him the way Nikki Haley did with Tim Alberta a week ago. Is Pence one of those people? Uh, because his name is, you know, he's always been seemingly playing for uh, for a presidential run. Mm-hmm. Has he hurt himself with, with leading up to the uh, the election, the impeachment, the insurrection? Did, did any of that hurt him with the base? I think, I think it hurt him with the base, but I think it also hurt him in general because he was also equivocating. You know, he should have stood up to Trump. He didn't. Now, you know, that's my, you know, Vice President Pence's personality, you know, but I think it's the wrong, I think it's misguided. So you said, Trump, we're, we're hearing that he's probably going to talk again a lot of the election fraud. Does this help him? I mean, as you said before, his base has been reduced to about 20, 25 percent. He never expanded it from the day he was in office, as normally you would for all Americans. Is he just doing that narrow casting just for those people? So I think so. I think he's decided that that base, he can mine tens of millions if not hundreds of millions of dollars from them. And it's a swing sort of base, meaning he can apply pressure on more conventional candidates to do his bidding because that base is actually listening to him. But I don't think that base is gonna catapult him. Now, Romney and McConnell said, if he runs, he'll likely get the nomination. Well, I think they're making that assessment based on today. But you and I know that uh, two years from now or three years from now when that nomination process starts, it's a lifetime away and people may have a different opinion. You know, you could have a administration doing reasonably well, COVID behind us, the economy booming, no tweeting of any dramatic circumstance from the president for three years. And all of a sudden people look around and say, wow, this is like way more normal and calmer and I'm back to watching sports. And, you know, why do I need this aggravation? You see what I mean? Right. Does that help him not having that megaphone on, on social no, media? No, I think it destroys him. It destroys right. him. He, he's become effectively a non-entity mm-hmm. because he would tweet every day, five, six times a day to get that stuff into the news cycle. 
he can't get it into the news cycle. He's sending out these, the office of the 45th president memoranda, and it's, it's barely getting picked up. Trump tax records were turned over to the Manhattan DA. Do you see this as a real possibility of, of, of indictments, whether it's in New York, Georgia, D.C., federally, a lot on the horizon? And do you see this as something that's real? I do. Michael Cohen does. But I think the secondary question is, are we going to put a former U.S. president in jail? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if the country's going to do that or not. So could he be indicted and could he be forced into a box where he doesn't run again? Yeah. Could something like that happen? A plea? But I don't, I don't, I don't see him going to jail. But I do see him having a problem. And I do see that problem likely causing him fines and some right. embarrassment. But I don't see him, uh, you know, and I think Biden has been very clear about this. He doesn't want to see Trump in jail. And, and it seems he always finds a way to spin. He got impeached twice, didn't get to uh, either removal from office or banned thereafter. He left office and he, he puts a spin on it as though it was a victory. It's not. I mean, he's the only president in history to be now impeached twice, but he, he finds a way to, to make it a positive. And, and I guess he would do the same thing if he didn't wind up uh, going to jail. You agree? I, yeah. I think that's exactly right. He would say that he beat back the establishment. He's the Never, he's undefeated in impeachment. He's the impeachment champion. That's some of the shirts that are at CPAC right now. And then they would say that uh, he's also benefited from this uh, lack of penal criminality, if you will, in the process that he's gone through. And I think, I think they would, I think that they would champion that. They would say that's just the mean spirited thing. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. A personal question, can I ask? We've seen you many, many interviews over the last few years since you left the White House. Uh, for those of you who don't know, former White House communications director uh, for, at that time, President Trump. Do you have designs on a political future? You know, I, 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 I say it jokingly, but I'm serious. You know, I'm running for re-election in my marriage, Jerry. I'm, I'm just trying to stay married and try to keep the family healthy. You know what I mean? Because you're clearly intelligent. You, you have a lot of knowledge, not just from the, from the few weeks in the White House, but clearly uh, from everything that you've learned and, and picked up along the way. So that, that, doesn't, uh, that doesn't go across your mind in any, whether it's governor down the line or, or something like that, senator? No, I, I, you know, listen, you know, anything is possible. I'm not a politician, so I'm not going to say absolutely not. And then you'll find me running and you're like, OK, another politician. But I would say to you that uh, I'm a center-right Republican. I'm sort of socially inclusive. But the state is really run by the Democrats. I don't see how I could win a statewide race. Um, I can't run for mayor because I'm a, a resident of Long Island and I have no intention of living in the city. So I don't know. We'll have to see, you know. Right. Obviously, we had Pataki. He was uh, multiple terms. I would like to ask your opinion of Governor Cuomo, uh, who has been really getting a a lot of criticism for the way the nursing home deaths have been reported and how he handled that. And this is from almost a year ago, and it's bubbled up again in the last few weeks. So I'm friends with Governor Cuomo. You know, obviously, Chris and I are friends. Uh, I want to take him at his word for right now. I think, as I said, even during the Trump stuff, I said people are innocent until proven guilty. And so I want to take his uh, uh, word on things. I would like the process to unfold. 
Uh, I think people are upset about the nursing home situation. I'm, it's not clear to me that it's his 100% his fault. But, uh, you know, having said that, you know, I believe in the process. And so let's let the process play out, you know. But I, I think the governor has, by and large, done, done a good job. Obviously, the COVID numbers are high here, but they, they started high here because of the introduction of COVID primarily from Northern Italy in the mid-February into the end of March timeframe when it was really raging. But I think he did a pretty good job of locking it down and reducing it. And right. I think he's a pretty, pretty good communicator. And by and large, I like him. I'm not totally in love with the tax structure here. I think it's caused a lot of businesses to leave. Some of that is SALT related and some of that is uh, unfair because New York is putting more into the federal government's coffers than it's taking out. But I think some of it is also born from one party rule. And, you know, he he's trying to also corral his left leaning side to his part. And, and speaking of the left leaning, several Democratic, mostly progressives, I think it's 12, want the governor to no longer have the uh, emergency powers, which he put in place last year during the pandemic because of this controversy. Do you see that as a problem and that he is losing support among his, his party? Um, you know, it's a good question. And I, I don't, I guess we have to wait, right? Because I think we're in this, you know, I'm going to make you laugh for a second. When we were kids, February was like the doldrums of sports. Cause you finished up with the Super Bowl. You weren't really sure what's going to happen with the playoffs for the basketball, the baseball season didn't start. That's why Sports Illustrated came out with the bathing suit adjustment. Right. You know? March Madness just, isn't until March. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I, I think it's basically, you know, I mean, probably not allowed to have a bathing suit edition anymore. But uh, anyway, you know, I'm just saying that, like, we're in that period of time where there's not a lot of activity going on politically, right? It's right after the election. It's a new administration, a new Congress. And so, you know, I don't know. I'm not too crazy in terms of being able to make that assessment right now, to be candid. Okay. I think it's just we're too early. Okay. Invite me back and then I'll give you my opinion. I just think it's too early. We'll see. We'll, I mean, we'll see as this, well, I mean, I know there's various things they're talking about. Even Republicans are wanting impeachment proceedings. Can I have you put on your, your Skybridge hat for a second? Sure. Founder of Skybridge Capital. While I have you here, there's been plenty of talk lately about uh, Bitcoin. I, I'm sure you even tweet often about it. I think you even have it in your profile on Twitter. Is this a time for the average investor to to get into cryptocurrency? You know, when you say the average investor, I tell people one two percent of your portfolio. If you have $100,000, $1,000. If you have a million dollars, ten dollars or $20,000. If you have $10 million, two or $300,000. I'm not interested in telling people, oh, yes, this is Russian and so forth. I'm a Bitcoin investor. I'm not a Bitcoin evangelist and I'm not a Bitcoin skeptic. I believe in the system and I believe in the monetary effect, the networking effect of the system. And so those coins are going to go up in value as that system continues to rise in its adoption. So all I'm saying to people in a world where our dollars are being printed and you have 40% more dollars, if the stimulus goes through, you have 26% more dollars right now, but if the stimulus goes through, you have 40% more dollars. 
definitionally, those dollars are not worth as much as they once were because there's just so many of them. But we were just talking about Hamptons real estate. So you have to find other things that could be negatively correlated. And so Bitcoin is a scarce thing. And I think I think so. Some people are into it and then other people are just uh, afraid of it completely, right? Yeah. Well, then you have the skeptics or you have the Bitcoin deniers and they're like, okay, you know, but here's the thing, you know, someone said to me, well, it's too good to be true. So therefore, definitionally, it isn't. And that's a good rule for investing. But let me let me put this back to you, though. Amazon, if you put ten thousand dollars into Amazon on its public offering, May 15th, 1997, it went to one gazillion. Right. It went from ten thousand to twenty one million, one hundred and forty thousand dollars today, 24 years later. That's a staggering return. Is that too good to be true? It sounds like it, but it happened. Mm-hmm. So it's true, true. Same with Apple, same with Microsoft, same with Google. And so all of these things carried with them the network effect. And that's what's happening with Bitcoin right now. Well, I always appreciate chatting with you, uh, Anthony Scaramucci. Uh, you know, you're busy. And so to, to squeeze in a few minutes is always a pleasure. Well, I appreciate it as well. In the days following this interview, several women came forward with sexual misconduct claims against Cuomo. The governor wants New Yorkers to wait for facts from State Attorney General Letitia James's report before passing judgment and said several times he won't step aside based on allegations. However, support within his party is dwindling, led by Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins, who said in a statement, quote, We need to govern without daily distraction. For the good of the state, Governor Cuomo must resign. Scaramucci gave me this statement via email on the claims of sexual misconduct against the governor. He said, I am close friends with Chris and Andrew Cuomo. I support the governor and hope that he is able to stay in office after there is an investigation related to these allegations. Having said that, if something wrong happens, Scaramucci said, I expect Governor Cuomo to find a way to do the right thing to remedy it. If you enjoy this content, would you consider a donation to my Patreon, Here Now the News page? Please share this episode on social media. Don't forget to leave a comment and a five-star rating. You can contact me on Twitter at Jerry Barmash. Email herenowthenewsjb at gmail.com and like my Here Now the News Facebook page. We'll shift gears for the next episode, profiling one of the most recognizable voices in the country. As always, thanks so much for subscribing and listening. I'm Jerry Barmash.